Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're working our way through this letter, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and uh, we're taking it section by section and verse by verse. And so this morning, I really encourage you to to turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 17 through 24 this morning. And so as you're turning there in your Bible, let me just set the context for just a minute. Over the last few weeks, uh, we've seen in the text that our God is not a God who shows favoritism. God is not a God who is partial to people. He is an impartial God. We saw that God judges everyone according to their works. He's a God who is fair. He's a just God. He doesn't show favoritism. And so we're currently in this section that goes from chapter 2, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 8, where Paul is really indicting the unbelieving Jews. The unbelieving Jews thought they were going to escape God's judgment because of their heritage, because they have the law, uh, because they have a covenant relationship with God. And they thought that, you know what, we're going to escape it. Uh, We don't need to keep the law. Um, And so, you know, we're going to be okay on that That's the section that we're in. Paul is just saying, "Uh uh-uh, no one's without excuse, including you, the unbelieving Jew. Now, let me just, by way of refresher, reminder, right? You might be thinking, well, I'm not an unbelieving Jew. How does this even relate to me? Well, the thing is that in our day, I guess the question is, who is the unbelieving Jew in our day? If we want to apply the scriptures properly and in its context, who is the unbelieving Jew of our day? And it's really anybody who claims a connection with God, uh, but doesn't really have true salvation. It, could, it can be the, the Jews of the day because, again, they are unbelieving Jews. They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah, and so they are still in their sins. So it can, it can be someone that, like that. Again, someone who professes Christ but doesn't really have a saving relationship with Christ. But I think, especially in our context, the unbelieving Jew, again, is someone who, who claims to be with God and a part of God or a Christian and is really not. It's a person that is in church, but is not in Christ. It's the person who grew up in a Christian home, but doesn't belong in the family of God. It's the person who professes Christ, but doesn't really possess Christ. It's the person who is religious without regeneration, without the regenerating work of the Spirit. It's the person who knows about Christ, but doesn't know Christ. There's a big difference to know about Christ than to actually know him. It's a person who has spiritual conversations without conversion. Let's call that person this morning the professing Christian, someone who claims to have a connection with God because they grew up in the church or they go to church and they serve or whatever it is, but they don't have true saving faith. That is the person who... Paul is talking to today. 
Now you might be saying, well, that's not me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm in Christ. There's still gonna be some application and implications for us as well through this text. So Romans chapter two, 17 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law, that's the third time the law is mentioned, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Barna did a study last year. And the study was essentially asking Americans what their view was of Jesus and those who follow Jesus. What do you think about Jesus and who he is? And what do you think about Christians themselves? And so they asked a bunch of questions, but here's one of the questions they asked Americans. Here's the question. Do any of the following causes, or do any of the following cause you to doubt Christian beliefs? Do any of the following, and they gave a big old list of reasons why, cause you to doubt Christian beliefs? And they give a lot of reasons. Do you know what the number one reason Americans gave why they essentially don't believe in Christianity and don't follow Christ? Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, the number one reason. Christians are hypocrites. They do not practice what they preach. This is recent, like last year. So the question is, is there any truth to this? Let's be real for a second. Is there any truth that Christians are hypocrites? Is there any truth that the reason why people don't come to church and don't wanna have anything to do with God is because they look at the lives of believers and they see no difference? Well, here's my opinion. I would say yes and no. Yes, there's truth to it because there are Christians who are born again, truly saved, who don't reflect Christ the best. And we just have to be honest with that. It's true. There's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. But I would also say no. And here's why I would say no. Because there are professing Christians, again, professing Christians is essentially an unbeliever, who professed Christ and that they 
are in Christ, but yet are not truly saved and live however they want. So what do they do? They give Christianity a bad name. They give God a bad name. And so you have really unbelievers claiming that they are Christian when they're really not, adding to this idea that Christians are hypocrites. But it's my opinion, regardless of whether this is true or not, if we claim to be in Christ, if we claim to be Christians, we must be people who practice what we preach. We must be people who walk the talk. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, the message is simple. I want to answer two questions, and the two questions are these. Number one, what does hypocrisy look like according to this passage? And number two, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter that we deal with this issue of hypocrisy? And so uh, the way that I kind of structured this morning, I have four headings that are going to help us grasp the text, make it easy to see, make it, make, make, make it easy to see the structure. And the first is this. I want you to see in this text the privilege. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me again. It says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. So here what Paul is saying is, is this, that the Jewish people had a lot of privileges. They were privileged people. They had a lot of good things. And Paul names a few positive privileges that the Jewish people had. So for example, he says, you call yourself a Jew. Well, the name Jew was a source of pride and privilege for the Jewish people. Why? Because it signified that they were the chosen people of God. And so they took a lot of pride in that. And it's good to, to, to have a healthy pride, right? Like for example, we live in America. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I live in America. There's a, the pride that comes along with that, right? To be an American is a good thing. And so I'm proud to be an American. And no, I'm not going to sing you the song right now, but, but it, it's a healthy pride. It's a good thing. It's a good pride. And so it's a privilege that they were the chosen people of God called the Jews. The other privilege he gives, look at verse 17, they rely on the law. And again, Paul is using it in a positive way, not in a negative way. The Jewish people relied on the law so they could trust in God. They trusted in God through the law. If you read Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, we know that that talks about the law of God and the word of God. And so God used the law, the word, the Old Testament to restore the souls of the, the Jewish people. And so again, it's seen positively. You see, because the law is not bad. And a lot of times we hear sermons that, oh, the law is bad, the law is bad. No, actually, Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, he says the law is good because the law reflects the moral character of God and the law actually points you to Jesus. Jesus. The, law, the law really says, hey, I can't save myself. I can't keep the law. So I have, to, you know, I have to place my trust in Jesus who is able to keep the law or who kept the law. So it's a really good thing. The law is a good thing in this context here. Boast in God, another privilege to boast in God. And it's a good thing to boast in God. Again, a healthy boasting. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. 
But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understand and knows me. What a privilege for the Jewish people to boast in God. And again, Paul agrees with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 30 through 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the Jewish person is like, hey, this is a great privilege that I get to boast in God and rely on the law. And also to know his will, another privilege. The Jews were privileged to know what God required of them. They were privileged to know when they sinned against God and they were privileged to know how to get back in fellowship with God. That's what the law did. They they didn't have to doubt. They didn't have to guess how to appease God or what God required. There's a prayer from an Assyrian prayer from the second millennium. And I wanna read, it's a long, long prayer, but I wanna read you some just brief snippets of this prayer. This prayer is a prayer where uh, the Assyrian people uh, offended uh, a certain God and they didn't know uh, what God they offended and they didn't know how they offended him and they didn't know how to get back on his good side. And this is what it says. May the God whom I know or do not know be quieted towards me. In ignorance, I have eaten that forbidden of my God. So in ignorance, I apparently sinned against this God. The transgression that I have committed, indeed, I don't know. The God whom I know or do not know has oppressed me. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. Yet the Jewish people knew exactly who their God was. They knew what their God required. They knew when they offended him, they knew how to get back into relationship with him, and they knew when to call out to him for help, and he always responded. What a privilege that is. The last privilege here is the Jews were able to approve what is excellent. What does that mean? Really, it refers to, to being discerning, especially in uh, really difficult life situations and circumstances, uh, ambiguous situations. They were, they were able to discern what God required and what was best for them and their community and what God really uh, uh, delighted in and what was good and bad. They were able to discern why, because of the law. That, that's what Paul says. Look at the, verse, the last part of verse 18. Because you are instructed from the law. Again, what a privilege to be instructed in the law, to be taught the law of God, to be taught the word of God. And so the Jews had the privilege of being instructed in the law, and because they were instructed in the law, they were able to approve what was excellent, be discerning. They were able to know his will. They were able to boast in God and they were able to rely on the law during hard times. So again, there's two types of people in every single church. 
Every single church, including Restoration Church, has both believers and unbelievers. That's just truth. You have professing Christians who think they're saved and they're not, and then you have people that, hey, I know I'm not right with God. So first, I wanna talk to professing Christians or unbelievers. How does this apply to you? What are the implications for you? I would say you have a privilege. You have a privilege that God has given you his law. That God has given you his word. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter three, he says this, but as for you, he's talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you, were, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the word of God, the law, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know him, know him, or if you think you know him and you don't, the privilege that you have this morning is that God has not stayed silent. God has revealed himself in a special way through his word. This is the inspired, inerrant word of God, the very words of God that can cause you to be saved. We can give you a free Bible if you don't have one. There's apps that you can download. There's no shortage of the word of God. It's everywhere. And you're hearing it this morning. And so I encourage you to examine yourself. Think about the privilege that God has given you through his word to know him and to find salvation in him and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what about the possessing Christian? the one who is truly a Christian? How does this apply to us or what's the implication for us or what are the privileges for us? There's so many in this passage, right? One of the privileges as a Christian is that we've been instructed in the law. We've been instructed in the word of God. Every single Sunday that you come to church, it is a privilege that God is instructing you through his word. What a privilege to be instructed by the word of God. And I mean, think about it in our culture. It's so easy to, uh, to, to get the word of God into our souls, right? Podcast, YouTube, again, there is no shortage. What a privilege to be instructed in the word of God. We have the privilege to have his word, to be discerning ourselves, to live a life through the filter of scripture. What does God want? What does God require in this specific situation? We don't have to look for a, 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 a guru or we don't have to have, read a self-help book. No, we have the word of God that helps us decide what is good and bad. We have the privilege of knowing his will. We don't have to guess. We don't have to doubt. We have the privilege of ourselves as believers boasting in God. We don't boast in our strength, we boast in our weakness and we boast in Christ. Actually, Paul in Galatians chapter six, verse 14, he says, if I'm gonna boast about anything, 
I'm going to boast in Christ. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. And what a privilege it is for you and I, believer, to boast in Christ, to praise Christ. It's a privilege for us as well, believers, to rely on God's word, isn't it? Especially through those valleys and those deep, dark situations and circumstances where we face. We get to be strengthened by the scriptures, comforted by the scriptures, guided by the scriptures. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 15. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance, some perseverance though, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What a privilege that the believer is never in a hopeless situation because we have the privilege of the word of God. The Jews were privileged to be called Jews and believer. You and I are privileged to be called children of God. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of the privileges, of the blessings that we have as believers. So, with great privileges, though, comes great purpose. And that's my second point here, my second heading. I want you to notice the purpose in verse 19 and 20. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So God gave the Jewish people the law for a purpose, to guide people, to be the light to those who are in darkness, to instruct people who don't know him and to teach uh, the children. And by children, it's really immaturity, like an immature person, someone with childlike faith. And so they had a great, great purpose because they had great, great privileges of having the law and being instructed in the law. The greater the privilege, the greater the calling. Isn't that true? So professing Christian, how does this apply to you? You've been given the law, you've been given the word of God to draw you towards him. What are the implications here for you? Please, please, please do not deceive yourself. I would hate for you to think that you are the guide when in reality you are the blind. I would hate for you to think that you're the light when in reality you're in darkness. I would hate for you to think that you are the instructor, but in reality, you are the student. I would hate for you to find out when it's too late 
I would hate for you to be that person in Matthew chapter seven. Verse 21, Matthew chapter seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not attend church regularly? Did we not serve regularly? Did we not contribute to heart for the house? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church, I hope and pray this is a sobering, sobering moment for you. Where you would examine your heart and your soul and your status before the Lord. The hardest person to reach is not the person who, think, who knows their law. It's the person who thinks they're found. So please don't deceive yourself thinking you're, guide, you're a guide, but you're really the blind. And I've been praying for you specifically all of this week that God, through his sovereign grace, would remove the blindfolds from your eyes and draw you towards him to see reality. What about the possessing Christian? Those who are truly in the faith, those who are truly saved, those who are truly in Christ, how does this apply to us? The fact that we have a great privilege and privileges and we have a great purpose and calling upon our life. I was reminded of Luke 12, 48. It says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. Believer, you've been given a lot. You've been given salvation itself. You've been given the spirit that abides in you. You've been given grace. You've been given the word. You've been given everything, the privileges that you have. And so again, the greater the privileges, the greater the purpose. The great commission, go and teach. Go and make disciples. Go and replicate yourself. We are called to be a guide to those in darkness. We are called to be the light to those in darkness. We're called to be instructors and teachers of the word of God. Man, we have a huge purpose. We have a huge mission. We have a huge calling and there is no plan B. You and I are plan A. To be the light of the world, as Jesus says in Matthew 5. That is our purpose. It's a great purpose. It's a great calling. What a privilege it is to be used by God. So the Jews had plenty of privileges, and based on their privileges, they were called to this God-sized purpose. Now the question is this, did they live up to their purpose? Did they use their privileges to fulfill their purpose? And the answer is no. 
Look at the heading, look at the next heading, number three, the prosecution. Paul now just prosecutes these unbelieving Jews. He doesn't hold back. Verse 21, and he does it through asking questions. He says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Man, Paul here is not holding back any punches at all. He says, do you not teach yourself? In other words, are you not teaching yourself? He says, because you're doing the very same things that you are telling other people not to do. You're telling people not to steal and you're stealing. You're telling people not to commit adultery, you're committing adultery. You're telling people not to go into temples and not only are you not going into temples, you're robbing temples. You see, pagan temples had a lot of expensive stuff in it. And so Jewish people would go into these temples and say, you know what? I don't want people to worship these false gods. I'm just gonna remove these idols so people won't worship those gods. And guess what they would do after that? They would sell that for a profit. Hey, you know what? I just, I need the money. Or hey, you know, God knows my heart. What Paul is doing here is Paul is calling out their hypocrisy. And Jesus did the same. In Matthew 23, verse three through four, this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Jesus himself saw the hypocrisy of the Jewish people. They're preaching and preaching and preaching, and there's no practice at all. I think here is a, there's an implication for those of us who want to be teachers, who, for those of us who want to be in ministry. You know, very often I get younger guys, and hey man, like, I want to be a pastor. Like, I, I want to be a pastor. I want to be in ministry, and, and I, I think I'm called to it. And, and I'm like, man, you better be sure. You better be sure. Because James chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Are you sure you want to be a teacher? Are you sure you want to be a pastor? Are you sure you want to be a guide? Because you got to practice what you preach. It was the great reformer, John Calvin, that says this. And boy, this just gets me every time. If a preacher is not first preaching to himself, better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and breaks his neck, then preach that sermon. Let me read that again, because it's powerful. If a preacher is not first preaching to himself, better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and breaks his neck 
than preach that sermon. It's a weighty matter for those who want to teach. I think this point here, this third point, applies to both professing and possessing Christians. And here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Do you yourself practice what you preach? Does your life align with what comes out of your lips? Does it? I think it's a good time and moment for us to really do some soul searching and be real with ourselves. Am I just preaching or or am I practicing? And the tendency for us to say to to do and to say is, well, I'm just not going to say anything then, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, that's not the right response either. It's not about not saying something to not feel guilty. It's about letting God's word and God's spirit transform our heart and sharpen us and mold us so that we can be on mission, so that we can say something, so that we can preach the gospel. Now, why does it matter? Why does dealing with hypocrisy matter? And this is the main point of what Paul's trying to get at. My fourth point is this, the point. I'm very clever, by the way, church. I'm super clever, right? No, I'd rather be clear than cute. Verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is the point that Paul is trying to make. Everything leads up to these last two verses. In other words, what he's saying is, you know what? You're not practicing what you preach. You're phony. You're a hypocrite. And because you do this, you are bringing shame upon God. Unbelievers are dishonoring God. They are disrespecting God. God is spoken about in a very disrespectful manner because of you. That's what Paul is getting at. That's the point. In other words, the reason why it matters to live a life of faithfulness and integrity and to practice what we preach is none other than the glory of God. Amen. That is the reason, that's why it matters. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. It's about His glory. It's about how the world looks at Him and how they think of Him and how they see Him. And they see Him by looking at us, by looking at me, by looking at you. That's why it matters. The glory of God. You see, what people think of you will impact what they think about God. And so ask yourself, because of me, because that phrase, church, 
at the very end of 24, it was like a knife through my soul this week. I couldn't get it out of my heart. I couldn't get it out of my mind because of you. It's like if Paul was like telling me because of you, because of you, ask yourself, will God be honored or dishonored because of you? Because of me, will people give God the glory? And so this is my heart and this is my prayer and this is my desire, church, for every single person in here, that because of you, God may be glorified, that because of you, God's love would be on display. That because of you, Restoration Church, dead people will come to life in Christ. That because of you, church, the blind will see. That because of you, the hopeless will find hope. The lost will be found by God because of you. That is my heart, my prayer, my desire for myself and for you because of you. Your family will be different. Because of you, your community will be different. And because of you, God will be glorified. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. I hope and pray that you would convict us, that we would genuinely see our heart and our life and examine it and show us the areas we've failed, but God, may we rest in your grace to live for your glory and the good of others. God, I pray for every single person here this morning at Restoration Church that when unbelievers see their life, they see something different, they see something special, they see love and hope and grace and mercy and joy. And God, we know we can't do this on our own. We know we can't practice what we preach on our own. So may we just be dependent upon the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. We can't do anything without you, God. So give us the grace, the strength, the power, and the courage to do so. Because we are weak. But with you and your spirit, we are strong. God, we love you. We thank you. We honor you. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. 
Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.